Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. Three of the Pro Way is brought to you by That Legendary Play. From historic moments to triumphant victories, iconic plays are immortalized at ThatLegendaryPlay.com. What's up, family? On this episode of Three of the Pro Way, we speak with Nashville, Tennessee native Dr. Kevin Armstrong. Dr. Armstrong shares with us his experiences of growing up in the Nashville area and the influence his parents, specifically his mother, had on his ambitions as a child and into adulthood. As an only child, Dr. Armstrong expands on how he learned to persevere and be resilient by being cut multiple times from the high school basketball team, only to make the team his junior year and get cut again his senior year, which led him to try out for track and that transition leading him to eventually being awarded an athletic scholarship to Middle Tennessee State University. While at Middle Tennessee State University, Dr. Armstrong already envisioned his career path and chose education, which has led him to being named a National Distinguished Principal and a Middle School Principal of the Year recipient. Currently, Dr. Armstrong continues to lead a middle school in Nashville, which he plans on becoming an author and education consultant. This is a story of inspiration you must hear. Welcome to another episode of Three of the Pro Way. This morning, I know we've thrown the word distinguished around a lot, but this morning we happen to have a recipient of the 2017 Distinguished Principals Award, the 2017 Principal of the Year Award. He also is the National 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 Association of Elementary Principals Vice President, currently a president of middle school here in Middle Tennessee and Nashville. Dr. Kevin Armstrong. How you doing, brother? Hey, what's, what's up, up Kev? What's up, Doc? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be on, guys. Glad to be on. So we, we've had very few Nashville natives on here, even though we've had a lot of guests that are, quote unquote, from Tennessee, from Nashville, um, that currently live in Middle Tennessee. But talk about growing up here in Nashville. Man, uh, born and raised here in Nashville, just growing up. Um, it's amazing to see the changes that have taken place in this city, uh, being born here in 72, starting kindergarten in 77. So I go way back to Fair Park, uh, Opryland, mm. uh, when Opryland was, was, a, was a theme park, mm. um, back, back in those days, Morrison's cafeteria, uh, the people who are native Nashvillians will, will understand those, those, those terms, but, uh, it's just been a blessing, man, to be to be born and raised here and, and, and to see this city come as far as it's come. So, uh, yeah, man, just, just fun times growing up as a kid in Nashville. So what did you do as a kid, man? You was an athlete? Cause I know you were a scholar now, I guess I'm gonna call you a scholar. <laughs> so what was you, what was you doing as a kid? Man, honestly, um, I was, I'm an only child. So I would go outside and, and I, I was, I was the quarterback and the receiver. A lot of times I would throw the ball up and then take off running and go catch it and all of that. But um, I actually played baseball when I was five, six, seven. And then I had a gap of um, kind of like Jordan of, of consistently being cut from, from teams. <laughs> um, I got cut uh, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, uh, try, trying to make the basketball team just like every other kid out here, you know, had aspirations of, of being uh, an NBA player. Um, ended up making the basketball team my sophomore year in high school. So I had that um, that uh, ad- identity as an athlete, as you all understand what that was like to go from just a traditional student to now I'm an athlete and I've got on the Letterman jacket and people know me um, to getting cut again my junior year <laughs> in, uh, in, for, on the basketball team. Um, and this is the part where you were supposed to say somebody transferred in, so you just, yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody transferred in, but I can tell you who transferred out. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, man, so my junior year, man, I get cut, um, identity gone, just kind of grabbing for straws. 
and ended up uh, finding myself at a tryout for the track team. Uh, just because in the spring you have baseball, track, and soccer, and uh, two, two of the well, all, all, all three were pretty foreign to me. So I just jumped out there on the track team. Was horrible. I'm just gonna keep keep it 100. I was horrible. Um, but coach saw something in me and worked my butt off in between my junior and senior year, and came back uh, as a senior and all district, all region, all state. We won the state as a team. Um, and I got a couple of looks late. And ended up going to uh, Middle Tennessee State University on the track scholarship. Wow. Hey, so so we all I moved here in 97. Kevin moved here in 98. Todd moved around around the same time. Um, you talked about growing up in Nashville. First question, what part of what part of town did you live in? And obviously we've seen the changes over the last, you know, 25 years or so. What, what is that? What does that look like now from where you from when you grew up? Right. Well, um. I moved to the Antioch area right before I started kindergarten. So I was four, about to turn five, and just lived in the Antioch area um, my whole life until I left to go to college uh, just to see, like, Hickory Hollow Mall used to be it. Yes. Like, that that was the it place. And I remember when, when Hickory Hollow came on board and just uh, spent a lot of Friday, Saturday, Sundays there. Um Again, you know, we used to go to Opryland, used to go to Wave Country uh, before Nas, way before Nashville Shores became in existence. But um, just just used to hang out in the in the Antioch area and play outside with with the rest of the fellas, and um, that that was it for me, man. Like that was that was that was fun for us. Man, I remember coming to Opryland. I'm from Huntsville, Alabama, so it's about an hour and a half south of um, of Nashville. That was our our summer vacation. <laughs> coming up to Opryland, man, that was a big time. That was a big deal for us. Yeah, exactly. You know that that was Six Flags before Six Flags, <laughs> right? So, yeah, we we had we had a lot of fun. And now they're about to build one on Eleven, and I heard like a big theme park out that way. Okay, so you're in the, so you're in the know. <laughs> man, yeah, you letting some some national secrets out? <laughs> I read every now and then, man. You know, that's all I got to do is read. Just read every now and then, right? So, <laughs> hey, Kev, so you you talk about you the only child. Yeah, talk about that. You know, we all have siblings and depending on where you're at, um, oldest, middle, whatever. But talk about growing up the only child. Well, growing up, you know, I used to hear the term spoiled all, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to consider myself selectively spoiled, meaning that, you know, I I didn't ask for everything. Uh, I, I was kind of uh, real uh, decisive on what I wanted and what I didn't want. But if I wanted something, I felt like, you know, I could lay down on the floor and feed a position and get it. But you know, but I didn't do that all the time. But um, it was just it was it was an interesting time. I remember, you know, opening up Christmas presents by myself, getting up at 5 a.m. and going downstairs and not having any siblings. Uh, but, um, you know, opening up toys and things by myself. And like I said, spent a lot of time playing, you know, Hot Wheels and other things by myself. But, um, you know, I, my, my dad is the youngest of 14. So I've had, you know, I have lots of cousins and things that I used to, you know, grow up with and play with uh, that all grew up in this area. But, um, you know, I, I personally, I mean, I love being an only child. I mean, I wanted a sibling just like everyone else, but I also feel like um, it was an advantage, particularly when it came down to, you know, the holidays and birthdays and things like that. Yeah. So, so obviously education is, is important, um, you know, from, you're having your doctorate and, and what you've done as far as the educational field. How early was that stress in your household when you were, you know, when you were younger? Um, my mother was a retired kindergarten teacher. So as far as uh, phonics and the just, just the foundations of reading and all of those things, um, I got it at a very young age and didn't even realize I was I was receiving it and definitely felt like Everyone was getting the same tutelage that I, that I was receiving as a child. Um, as I got older, of course, I realized that everyone didn't didn't have it the way that I had it. But um, education was king, um, particularly from from mom. Um, my mom was a you know twenty year old mother. Um, you know, got had me early, got married early, um, and so I didn't realize that you know my mother was was as young as she was to be honest i mean you know when i graduated my mom was i think 37 38 uh from from high school and so uh just just seeing her being being a teacher and um seeing all of the seeing all of the teachers and how how uh, respected she was as an educator and seeing 
of course, seeing seeing the students that would, you know, run up to her and grab her on the leg and things like that. Um, it really put an importance for me on education and making sure that, you know, that I, that I made good grades and stayed out of trouble, um, thing, things of that nature. So, um, yeah, just just growing up in the house of a, of a kindergarten teacher, I felt like I had it different than a lot of others. Why, why MTSU? Because people listening to this podcast, Antioch and MTSU is roughly 20, 25, 30 minutes away, right? Um, right. Down the road of um, Interstate 24. Did you did you think about exploring other options outside of, you know, state or, you know, did you think about going to other schools? To be honest, I'm, I'm going to tell you how, how easy and, and really how simplistic I thought and a lot of other kids my age think still today. Um, in high school, I was a big Syracuse basketball fan. <laughs> when they had Cody mm-hmm. Owens and and, um, and 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 all of those guys, uh, Derek Coleman. Yeah. Um, and so I applied for Syracuse University just based on that. <laughs> Never been to New York. I, I applied to Syracuse. Um, I applied to Middle Tennessee State because it was in it was in the backyard. Um, but my school counselors um, really didn't push um, to to apply to a lot of schools. Um, just me and my sheer ignorance. I just didn't didn't know to ask any questions. Yeah. Uh, never went on college tours um, again. And I'm the son of a of a teacher, you know, and I never had those opportunities. So. Um, to make a long story short, I had applied to Middle Tennessee State, had gotten accepted, um, hadn't received any money. And um, my teammate at the time, my high school teammate who had just broken the 200 meter state record, um, coach calls him, uh, Coach Hayes from Middle Tennessee State calls him and wants him to come on campus for a tour. And I'm in the house. I believe he's cutting my hair at the time, but I'm 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 in the house and I'm like eavesdropping and I'm chiming in. I'm like, hey, what about me? You know, kind of kind of like the scene from Boys in the Hood when the guy was saying, you know, I play baseball. <laughs> um, so at any rate, um uh my guy, he he goes on a on, on a recruiting visit. I'm a tag along. We're in the car and we're talking. And coach remembers me and he's like, hey, have you taken ACT? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you know, what did you score? I think I scored like a 24, 25. Um, at the time, um, he was like, really? He was like, what's your GPA? So we started talking grades and, and uh, test scores. And, um, you know, long story short, I ended up, you know, getting a scholarship. Uh, it was like partial academic, uh, partial athletic. Um, and, you know, that's how I got on was just, you know, going on a trip with uh, with my teammate. Um, so, you know, th- things like that happened. I probably would have definitely I would have attended Middle Tennessee State University uh, because it was in the backyard. But. Um, as far as how I navigated, you know, my space to to end up on the team, um, it was just a conversation that that took place while I was, while I just so happened to be at, at my friend's house. To be honest, wow. So, Kev, let me let me go back, mm-hmm. dive back just to your mom just for a second because it sounds like she has a big influence on you, and we've talked recently about that. But uh, also, same thing. I graduated high school. My mom was thirty seven years old, and I thought she. 37 seemed old to me. <laughs> I look right. back at her now and say, hey, my mom was young. <laughs> See, right. but, and so I had that same perspective. But you talk about the influence she had, even though she was a kindergarten teacher, but sounds like she had an influence even then all the way up through up until the time you went to MTSU. Definitely, man. I mean, um, I mean, mom was everything. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I never had an opportunity to go on a vacation as a family. Um, I mean, you know, dad worked all the time. And um, I think as a child, you know, I didn't necessarily understand that then as much as I do now. But, you know, every time I went on a vacation, it was typically me and mom uh, events, sporting events, things like that. Boy Scouts. It was typically um, mom. And so mom was everything. Mom carried a lot of weight. Uh, Mom was the one that helped me with my homework. Mom, of course, was a teacher in my school district. So she knew someone or multiple people at every single school that I attended. So there was no getting over and getting in trouble and things like that. But um, just listening to her and the things that she used to tell me and, and, and how I used to, how I used to, to, to get challenged by my mom was in a, was in a way that um, it, it wasn't forceful, um, but it was something that always stuck with me. I mean, I, I can remember coming home with, with a report card and, she asked me, you know, hey, is this the best that you could do? That's all she said. It tore me up because mm-hmm. I knew, 
you know what I'm saying, deep down that I could have done better. And so that was kind of the influence that, that she had behind me. And um, just being a child that just never wanted to let mom down, I think, was was really a huge driver for me. Man, I'm going to start using that, man, because I have a, I have a junior and a sophomore in high school. You know, he plays sports and we have conversations after, you know, sporting events. And we, we talk about plays that he made, some plays that he didn't. That's a good lead to me to, add, you know, to have those conversations. Hey, man, is that the best you could do? Mm-hmm. I think the same thing with mine. And then open then that just opens up him. Like he has to, he can't say like, well, yeah, no, you have to kind of explain yourself after that. That's true. That's true. That, that is definitely true. And so I was, I was the, uh, I was a kid that never made honor roll, never made principal's list because I always had a C. I mean, I've had all A's and a C. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it it was funny to to have kids, and so now you know I, I have kids that that have that have never not made honor roll, never not made principal's list, um, and so it it is funny how you fast forward and how you learn things as a child and how you make sure that your kids get it or don't have those things depending on what it is uh, to to make sure that, that that they have it better than you did. So um you know that that's definitely a testimony that i carry into into my work as a principal when i'm working with kids because when i sit down with them if i'm being transparent with them you know i i can identify with them in a lot in a lot of ways and i feel like that that's important uh is for us to be transparent with 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 youth and to let them know how we had it or how we didn't have it because you know i am not who you see in front of you yeah um, you know there, there there's a lot that took place behind the scenes that got me to this point man from a parental yeah. standpoint like th- there is a fine line with that because, you know, we, we, we grew up differently, right? We didn't, you know, I grew up from a middle-class home. I had two parent home, both my parents were teachers. So that, you know, we didn't, we had enough, you know, we definitely didn't have a lot. Right. And now, you know, since, you know, we've, we've all become parents and we've, you know, kind of quote unquote made it. We try to find a, the balance in between showing your, your kids, like kind of giving your kids an opportunity, the best opportunities you can, but also them having to kind of learn on their own. That that's a that's a balance. I I, I find it hard sometimes because you don't want to give your kids everything, but you want to give them the best opportunity. But then, are they learning how to work for different things? You're moving too many obstacles out the way, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm just I'm curious on your thoughts about that. Um. I think the reality of it is because uh, we have been blessed with success, we have the opportunity really to control that narrative a lot more than than say an, another parent could. Yeah, I mean, you know, I have the opportunity to to get in the car and and take my child on pretty much any recruiting trip that they ever want to go to. Uh, but I think that there's a conversation and there's really a mindset that has to go with that so that your kids appreciate it. Like, you know, I don't mind taking, taking them on vacations and buying them things provided that they have a level of appreciation for it. Uh, You know, I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing for your kids. I think uh, where you spoil them or where, or or where it goes wrong is when they're just receiving things without having to work for it. And they don't have that same level of appreciation that I feel like they should. Yeah. Yeah. So when you got to MT, were you, were you an ed major or you just kind of fell into it? Yeah, man, I, I've been a, I've been an education major uh, day one. Um, I had a couple of teammates that were that were education majors and uh, we just dove into it. To be honest, um, I'm in educational classes in undergrad and and I'm finishing the sentences of my professors because of everything that I've heard in the house, you know, from mom and just those conversations uh, that I was eavesdropping, I guess, and didn't even realize I was when she was talking to her, you know, to her to her colleagues on the phone, and um, all of the times that I was at her school helping her with bulletin boards and you know dusting off erasers and all those things. Just she I just kind of age right there. had all of that stuff right and di- didn't even realize it was it was uh, it was a part of me. So um, you know, going in and doing classroom visits and things like that, I felt very comfortable being in those situations. Um, and so I just never really thought about doing anything else. By the way, I did, you missed that, but you you told your age talking about dusting off. Uh, yes, <laughs> and, and the zero and the uh, the copy machine when you yeah. had all the ink on your on your hands. Yeah, and all yeah. That. yeah, damn it. yeah. But, but that's, that's me all day. 
<laughs> I mean, I know we we keep uh, talking about your mother influence, and obviously she has had a major influence. And well, I'm gonna go back to something MTSU in a minute. But you talk, you spoke a little bit about your father. He, you said he worked a lot. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah. and he having a male presence in the home. There's always a presence, in if he's there, especially in the house. What was that like? What was your father's relationship with you? Like you said, your mother, she was at every game. She was there. You was dusting off her racers. You was, you know what I'm saying? You was listening to her conversations. But what was it like with your father? Um, like I I would tag along with him um quite a bit. Um I, I really poured into the things that he liked to do. So um, you know, my dad was an avid bowl, uh, was an avid bowler. Um, to me, he was like semi-pro to me <laughs> uh, yeah. because he used to go out of town to tournaments and things like that. And so that was really kind of my trips that I that I took with dad was when he used to go out of town, you know, on bowling tournaments and things like that. And so I picked up a bowling ball. I started bowling. I bowled. Actually, actually, I made the basketball team in high school to stop bowling because I was bowling three games a day with him because I would get home from school probably three days a week and jump in the car and go to the bowling lanes and would have to practice with him while, while he practiced. Um, so I, I really poured into a lot of things that that he enjoyed and just kind of whatever he was doing. I just wanted to be a part of it. He loved going fishing. So, you know, I, I went out there and, you know, to this day, I, I still love fishing because of him. So, um, you know, wh- whatever, whatever dad was doing, you know, I-, I wanted to be there just like, just like any other kid, you know, they, they want to be underneath their dad. And like I said, he worked a lot, but the things that he ventured out and, and took time for, I was definitely all a part of that. So either way, I'm surprised you didn't join the bowling team at MT or something. I'm just, we didn't, we didn't have it at, at that time, but, uh, if we did, um, I definitely would have, uh, would have been a part of that. So did you own a bowling shirt as a young child? This is a question. Ooh, I did not own a bowling shirt, but I owned probably about three or four bowling balls. Um, <laughs> Glo- gloves and everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. I had, I, I, had, what I not. had all of that. I had all of that. And and it was it was terrible too, because I can remember I think I bowled 250, 260 as like a 15-year-old against <laughs> dad and lost. Like I, I was rolling two thirties, two forties, like it was nothing and losing. Like that was the thing. You know, I'd go home, go back to school and tell my friends what I bowled. Number one, they didn't believe me. And then two, I was like, and I didn't even win, you know? So, um, <laughs> yeah, man, it was, it was, it was a struggle being on lane. You took a bowling class in college. And if you made a 180, you didn't have to come back. <laughs> he was like, if you bowl a 180, I don't care if it's the first day. You don't have to come back. It's that great WKU education. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow. <laughs> he, he meant that with love. I, I'm not going to get started on, on One, you. 180, Todd? 180, <laughs> man. It was a summer class, too. You bowl a 180, you done. It took you a couple times, too. Now, what Todd didn't tell you I was... went three times. <laughs> okay, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, okay, I, I went three times. How many times you went? Okay. Bowling was my thing, particularly. That out. <laughs> you, you still bowl? I'll be honest, man. I, I, it's not something that that is how my list anymore, man. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I'll go. You know, at times, you know, the wife and the kids they want to go, and I've been, but it's not the same. Uh, you know, now it's all dark in there. You can't see. You know, it's <laughs> not. It's it's not really about uh, being a, a a purist, I guess. You would say, you know, when I went, you know, they had the little jukebox playing in the background, but that was about it. You know, the lights were on. Now it's lasers, and well, I, I'll go with you, man. And, and let's see if you can get this one eight. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, like it. I like it. I like the high voice. <laughs> I, I, I can get the 180, Tom. No, I, I can no, get the 180. No, no. We'll see. I knew you meant that, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I go over active, you know. So like I was saying, you know, you, you, you can get this 180, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, so I want to go back to MT a little bit. You, you said you pretty much knew early on that's what you wanted. But was your focus always going to be on secondary? Or I know you've done some secondary and primary school, but was what was your focus at? I mean, your influence obviously comes from you know your mother, but what was your focus? Um, I just just in going and doing observations when I was an undergrad, um, being in all three tiers, elementary, middle, and high, I just really gravitated to middle. Um, something about sixth grade, I'll never. I'll never lose sight of what it's like to be in the sixth grade, something that was kind of like a wonder years type of image for me. Um, Just being that age and, um, you know, pre-puberty and um, still having fun. 
um, when it's not too serious and and I really haven't um, been exposed to like real problems that I felt like older kids kind of go through and are going through. Um, so I just really gravitated to to the middle realm and, you know, started teaching in middle school, loved it, um, wanted to expand, you know, my horizons after about nine years in the classroom and moved up into administration so I could touch more lives and be a part of, of the process a little deeper than I was as a teacher. Uh, but I've never really looked at going anywhere else. The one year that I was a high school assistant principal uh, was not my doing. Um, I was kind of ID'd as having as having the ability and having talent to possibly be a high school principal. Uh, they didn't ask me. So I, so, so I got moved uh, for a year as an assistant principal in a high school and, um, you know, enjoyed enjoyed that experience, learned a lot. But at the end of the year, it was time for me to go back to middle school. So, yeah, I've been in middle my entire career. Man, I know you guys can probably educate me, but is that common to have to be a male black, um, you know, teacher in a middle school level? Is is that because the reason why I ask that because both my kids obviously went through middle school. They only had one male teacher at the school. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was just the school that they went. They went to the same, you know, went to the same same elementary school. I don't know if that's just the school or is that is that common not to have male the male presence or the male teacher um, in, in in the elementary school level, in the middle school level. Um, from from my experience, um, I had one African American male in elementary. He was my PE teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like a god to us. Yeah, 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 yeah. We just worshiped him. Then when I got to um in middle school, I believe I had two. Uh one was like a shop teacher, the other one mm-hmm. was yeah. a PE teacher. So, you know, there there's that consistent pattern then. And then in high school, I had about two or three, but they were all in the related arts, wood shop, auto mechanics. Um, as far as me having one in, in like English or math or something like that, no, uh, ne- never really had that, never really had that opportunity. So, um, it is rare, uh, to find, um, African-Americans that are in core content subjects, mm-hmm. uh, Af- African-American males, I should say that, that, that are, that are not in physical education or exceptional ed or, um, or, or in the arts. Um, so I, I think to this day, it's still difficult to find. Um, those because I'm definitely looking for them. I always want um, the makeup of my faculty to to align with the makeup of the student body. Uh, I, I want kids to come in and see someone that 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 looks like them. Uh, I think that there's a there's a definite comfort level that comes with that, and uh, I think that you can build um, stronger relationships that way when you have um, a variety of folks on your campus. That's that's why I wanted to go back to MTSU just for a sec because. I don't know if you heard Dr. McPhee, president of the university, there's some real conversation about the, the school of education program. So few applicants. Yeah, and then cool. hear you talking about, you chose that right from the jump. And I'm a principal, you're a principal, Ty's been a principal, that recruitment trying to get, you said trying to get people to mimic your, your faculty, your faculty mimic, mimic your student body. What are you doing as a principal I mean, how are you encouraging people? Because people are leaving the profession in droves right now. It's really hard to get quality people. And when before there was uh, different programming that you can select people, especially for inner city schools, uh, Teach for America, things of that nature. But now it's really hard to find teachers. Um, And again, I'm speaking to somebody like yourself who went to school to be an educator. I did not. It just kind of happened for me. Mm hmm. Um, I, I can definitely say that it, that it's tough. Um, uh, I mean, I talk to to young people and and speak on education quite a bit and uh, speak on it as a profession. But the reality of it is, is um, students that go into college that are looking from a salary standpoint, they can definitely go out and find something uh, where, where they're able to to make more money. Um, I still believe that that being in education is a calling. Um, and we have a lot of folks that are in the educational setting that started off doing doing something else. And there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, to go in and to major in education as an African-American male um, is very rare these days. I can speak on on my campus 
I have one uh, one African American male that is teaching a core content class. Um, I have two others that are that are in support roles. Um, so I've never really had more than three or four on my campus, and I would say the vast majority of the vast majority of them are not certificated teachers. So I still have a struggle as an African-American male. And so you got to think about it. If I'm an African-American male principal and I'm having trouble finding African-American male teachers, then, you know, you can imagine what that looks like for, for those who don't look like me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, we're definitely looking, uh, we're, we're trying to find talent now, you know, I just don't want, you know, somebody I can just stick in there and be like, Hey, look, I got a African-American male and, and, and they're not good at their craft, but, um, yeah, but, but to find those that are truly good at what they do, um, is it's been a challenge. Well, I think you have to be intentional with it too, because to, to go back to Joy's question, there are you, you have to have a principal who's intentional on hiring African American males and, and females as well. But so, like, I was an education major from the jump, and I taught English. Uh, so I was rare. Yeah, so I, I get that. But at the same time, even when I was a teacher, I was trying to recruit black males to come work you know, at our school, but we had a principal who was, he was that guy. He was like trying to bring, he was an African-American male as well. So we brought in a lot of different guys. Um, and three of the guys that I helped bring in now they're principals or, you know, even higher has worked at the central office. And, and actually one in particular, I'm thinking Trey Chappelle, Trey was a math teacher. So you have to be intentional on trying to hire these guys and, and get them into, into, uh, and, and, I'll just tell you, I went into education to be a coach. You know, I was I was coaching receivers at Hillsborough High School and we ran the wing tee. So, you know what that's like. (laughs) Therefore, he got out of. So the coaching thing was not my bad. But, you know, once, you you know, I think it was because as a kid myself, I never had any black male uh, teachers until I was a sophomore in college. So, you know, I was always intentional as a principal on hiring black males. Our staff at 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 Independence, we had a whole lot of black folks in general, but that was intentional. I think you have to have, you know, and and I've seen Kevin's staff and he Kevin and Kevin, both staffs. And these guys are intentional hiring, you know, kids that I mean, teachers that look like the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think to Todd's point and to your point, Kev, I, I think again talent has to be there and Todd can attest to this because sometimes it don't work out and it you might have the talent but you don't have the work ethic or or the um the <clears throat> skills to navigate certain worlds you know because you gotta be able to do the bounce back and y'all know what I'm referencing when I say that and you might not be able to do that. So as we talk about it especially in if we're talking about the African American community the pickings are slim as is. And if you were even narrowing that down to even further to a core content, it's even harder to find somebody, especially to your point, quality. Mm-hmm. So, and as we know, I don't care white, black or other people need people that they can identify with. They need to see people that's different than the norm or what they see on TV, their assumptions, their, their, they're what they assume is what black America is or white America is. They need that representation globally in a, in a building. And there's nothing like education. And maybe I'm biased and Todd be biased and, and Joey coming from education background, his parents, we may be biased on that, knowing the influence that teachers and administrators can have. But what's, disheartening is so many people are leaving. Yeah. But it's not that, we just had this mm-hmm. conversation. Kevin just mentioned it. It's, it's not getting any easier though. Like it's like, what's the, we're, I don't think we can answer the question. Like what, how can we get, make this situation better? Because I mean, other than potentially raising the pay, I, I mean, that's obviously that's, that's not in our wheelhouse. That's right. that's on the political um, point of view. Like how can you attract quality people in general you know black people what just quality people that that want to go into education help wanna, kids like how do you do that though that's the question yeah well I, I think one one of the things that we can do um and this is what i plan to do um you know just just being on the executive board with naasp is 
really get out and have courageous conversations with folks about, you know, internships. And, you know, why can't we have internships in the field of education for these, you know, young college students that have an opportunity to work um, for school districts for the entire summer and the youth programs, the summer schools, those types of programs, uh, things that I had an opportunity to do when I was in college. Uh, I mean, I worked for the YMCA. I, I, I was a, I was a camp coordinator as far as uh, um uh, canoeing was concerned and things like that. So I, I had an opportunity to do some other things, but I was I was doing things that were around children. And so I think, uh, you know, if we had internship uh, opportunities, if we had incentives that if you, you know, if you end up in a classroom and you teach for X amount of years, then this is how much money we're going to give we're going to give you or, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to have to pay back your student loans or what, whatever it is, um, we, we have to throw out incentives the same way that the other occupations are doing the same thing. And I think that we're, we're going to be able to, to, to find uh, quality people that can come in and, 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 you know, work with youth in the classroom because it is tough. I mean, we, we are very fortunate this year to start the school year at 100% in terms of staffing. And I know that there are a lot of folks out there that are still trying to try, trying to find people. Um, so it's, it's, it's a definite blessing for me. Uh, to start off the year 100% because I know how tough it is out here trying to find folks. Yeah, man, did you say that I'm uh, English and French and I'm 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 just happy to have all my chemistry covered right at this point. You know, exactly. you don't want me to be your, your nah, you good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't don't hire him. Don't hire Joey as your English teacher. He will hey, be not, I'm here for you, man. Hey, he'll be saying words that they ain't even real. Hey. Me and coach. <laughs> Kevin, I got a question for you. So having grown up in Antioch and having seen, and we, we talked about this previously, and because me, KD, and, and JK came to Nashville at the time where Antioch was the Mecca. Mm-hmm. So how how does that affect you, like being a product of, of the school system that you currently work in, knowing that the area you grew up in was, you know, was really at a, at a high level as far as growing. And now you see that area, not like it used to be, you know, at, at, at its prime. And I know there's a lot of areas out that way that, um, so, you know, it's a plethora of charter schools going up out that way. And then all other kind of stuff. Do Have you ever, and have you ever felt like that's the area you want to go back to, or you feel like where you are now, you, you're good. Um, First off, just just growing up here, I've definitely seen changes. Um, I would say when I graduated from college in 95, that was really when I first started to see changes when I would come back to this area and just see uh, more people walking up and down the street, for example. Um, And you see more trash and um, you started to see um, stores that were closing and um, they were not being replaced maybe as fast as maybe in some other areas, you know, storefronts that would, that would stay vacant for six months to a year. Um, and then you started throwing, you started seeing just an overabundance of, of apartment uh, complex complexes being, being built and uh, which have a large amount of people in a small, in a, in a, in a small space and um, start to see the uh, deterioration of, of, of what we knew as Hickory Hollow Mall, the Hickory Hollow Mall that we knew, um, to what it is now, which is uh, basically a shell. So um, it's it's definitely gone through a lot of changes. Uh, I know, you know, I, I'm not going to get into charter schools uh, because because that's very political. But but as Todd said, uh, there are a lot of <laughs> charter schools that are that are now in the uh, in the area and, um, you know, and they're doing what they're doing. Um, so, you know, it 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 is definitely changing. Um, certain, you know, Antioch is not the only area in town that is going through that through that metamorphosis. There are other areas of town that are, that are being hit just as hard, if not harder. Uh, but again, I think um, you know you have to get you have to get the right people in place. Uh, with me being a principal, I can tell you that that a lot of the uh, middle school, high school, and elementary principals that are in this area are phenomenal uh, are phenomenal administrators. I, I know quite a bit, if not all of them. Um, and so they are working really hard to try to educate kids and, and to give kids the best opportunity that they that they can have. But 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 they do have have their challenges in, in this area. And I've seen it. Um, you know, I've seen Antioch at its peak uh, when a lot of African-American families, middle class families were moving out to this area back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. 
And um, I've just kind of seen it start to to uh, to demise um, to what to what it looks like today. But, you know, there there is hope. Um, we do have a couple of uh, building ventures that are going on in the Antioch area, I think, that are that are designed to kind of revitalize this area. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful to see what the future of Antioch looks like. Yeah. So you didn't answer my question. Uh, my question was, and I, I say this because, and I, 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 I'm seriously, when I say this is because like, I used to want to go back home to my old high school mm-hmm. and be the principal there because I felt like it, it was like my duty to go back and, and do that. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. my question to you is, I, I realize the area you you're a principal in now is not the area you grew up in. So what I'm saying is, do you have a certain I don't I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but sense a certain responsibility. Yeah, yeah, sense of responsibility or, or sincerity mm-hmm. towards where you grew up to say, hey, I grew up there. I want to go. And I'm not taking whoever the principals are in those areas. I know they're working hard. I'm saying it's, it's a part of your heart to go back to the area in which you grew up and which you went to school to be part of that. Um, I would say no. And here's my and, and here's my reason. Um. I've been the principal at DuPont Hadley for 12 years. Prior to that, I was a teacher at DuPont Hadley for six years. So I taught at Hadley for six. I left as an assistant principal for six years before I came back as principal. And so I felt that way about DuPont Hadley because I saw as a teacher that there were so many kids that I was not able to reach. And I saw kids fall through the cracks that I felt like I really had an opportunity to uh, to reach had I been in a different capacity. And so when I had the opportunity to go back there, it was personal for me because now I'm dealing with, um, in some cases, the children of students that I taught, you know, back when I was in the classroom the first time. Um, so I do have that passion. Um, I guess being born and raised in Nashville, I feel like I'm 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 still in Nashville, so I'm making a difference. Uh, but as far as me having the the drive or motivation to go back specifically to Antioch and to be a principal in the Antioch area, um, no, that's not something that's ever really um, been on my mental. I know I know we skipped over it a little bit, but we didn't really talk about your career as a teacher. We've talked a little bit about you as an administrator speak mm-hmm. to, and we talked about recruiting teachers, talked about your experience as a teacher. And uh, in undergrad, I've always had a passion for math. Just growing up, I've, I've loved math. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. Shout out to Coach Fuller at Overton High School, who was really a big driving force in me wanting to be a math teacher. Uh, just watching him every day in high school, I was amazed. And he was a he was a teacher and a coach and wore those different hats. And um, I was just amazed at his math knowledge, uh, being that he was a basketball coach. I didn't think that a basketball coach could, you know, could could be that, uh, right. you know, like to, to, could, could be that that great in the classroom. But anyway, um, that was something that I always wanted to do. So um, I got it. I got a middle school job teaching teaching math, um, ended up being the pre-algebra and algebra one teacher in middle school. So I had advanced students. Um, as well as as a traditional seventh and eighth grade students, um, you know, having a sports background, obviously coaching was a part of it, you know, the same way that uh, that uh, Todd said. So so I was a uh, football coach, basketball coach. Um, I actually coached uh, in the summers. Um, I coached uh, Tennessee Travelers, which was a Nike sponsored team um, back back in the, I guess, late 90s, early 2000s. So I had an opportunity to coach some of the top players in the state of Tennessee, uh, the Coy Brewers, David Harrison's, uh, uh, Mario Moore's, um, those 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 caliber of of, uh, of players, and uh, just just still still pouring into young people, um, and uh, got into administration and and just took off from there. Um, I've been a part of different principals leadership academies and. I've had the opportunity to, uh, you know, to travel outside of the country. I've been to to China twice and to London and things like that. So just just really being able to to, to pour into young people and, um, and and to be able to go out and to see um, a wide variety of things, not only here locally, you know, but across the country and across the world as well. Things that I can take back to to, to my respective campus and, and can apply those things immediately. 
Speaking of what you bring in now, sounds like you got a lot of experiences globally. Talk about your leadership style and and because you you've had mm-hmm. a staff mentioned in the intro, you have been uh, principal of the year, uh, things of that nature. Uh, talk about your style and how you you know spread your branches. Uh, one, I feel I feel I'm a servant leader. Um, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not going to do. Um, I'm not going to ask you to get your dirt. I'm not going to ask you to get your hands dirty. And I'm speaking to you with clean hands. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like that you have to be able to walk the talk. And, you know, if that means getting to work early, staying late, um, helping out. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I'll, 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 I'll run the cash register in the cafeteria for shorthanded, just whatever, whatever it takes. Um, that's what I'm willing to do. Um, I'm all, I'm also a visionary and I feel like every good principal is a visionary. So I'm able to see things that other people can't necessarily see. Um, uh, Kevin and I were talking about this the other day, but you know, visionary is a blessing and a curse because you see things other people don't see, but you see it alone. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so that can be a struggle. Uh, being an administrator is a lonely job and you're it, uh, and no one else on campus uh, knows what you feel and really can identify with that. And so it, it's definitely a lonely job. Um, I believe that every great principal has to be a, a little bit insubordinate because if you are on the cutting edge, you're going to be ahead of what the norm is. Uh, and so, you know, there are some things that that we have implemented uh, on our campus that would not have taken place if I wasn't a risk taker. Uh, we have the first middle school youth court in the state of Tennessee. Uh, we are a big avid uh, program. Uh, we have four high school credit classes uh, in middle school, which is uh, which is unheard of for a lot of middle schools in our district. Um, our school has been in existence for 53 years, and they had never won a city uh, championship in sports. Um, we we are now blessed to have three uh, city championships in the last four years, and that's that's in the midst of COVID. So we started before COVID and. Post COVID, you know, we're still bringing in hardware, and so just changing the the complexion of the school and changing the name of the school from someone when I was a teacher there, uh, we would we would almost have a parade when we won a game in anything. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To now having a culture where every single sport is is respected if not feared, um, to go on to to couple that with you know, being being a high academic campus and, and really driving academics, uh, I feel like we have the best of both worlds on our campus. So what's next for you? Um, so I uh, I just started my term as vice president of NAESP. It is a about 16, 17,000 member organization with principals primarily across the United States, but also expands to other countries. Um, so that gives me the opportunity to get FaceTime with a lot of people that, that other people typically would not. Um, to be in, you know, meetings, albeit virtual, with the Secretary of Education um, and, and and other top-notch people and just to learn from them. Um, so this will be a three-year deal. So I'll be vice president this year. I'll be president-elect next year for 23-24. And then for 24-25, I will be the president of NAESP, and I'll be on sabbatical as principal at DuPont Hadley, and I will be traveling all over the country to uh, to different state conferences and just just meeting with other principals and just trying to learn and 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 to grow from one another. Um, and so after that, you know, I'm 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 doing some consulting. Uh, I just started doing doing some educational consulting this year, and so I'm glad. Of, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of, of of where that's where that's headed, and so. Just, just trying to to keep building the brand, if you will, and to try to venture out and, and to do some some bigger and brighter things, but still touch touching kids' lives, but now touching kids' lives through uh, working with principals all over the country. Because one thing you said was, and it resonates with me, and, and I'm sure Ty was kind of feeling the same way, is that changing a culture, you know, uh, and and creating a and for I don't know other way to say this, a winning expectation, a winning culture. Um, where people saw your school as a certain type of way and changing that mind frame. Uh, can you speak to that before we let you go? Can you speak to that that work, that work of changing a culture in the school, changing the mentality? And sometimes I tell people it was an outside-in job, but a lot of times it's an inside-out job. You got to change the mind state of a lot of people from the inside of 
And our kids can't do, uh, we can't do that. We don't have the resources. Can you speak to that a little bit? Definitely. Um, I believe, you know, culture eats instruction for breakfast. I mean, that's a quote. It's not, I, I, that's not mine. But um, so at any rate, as a principal, when you go in, before you can truly focus on instruction, you've got to get culture lit. I mean, kids can't learn if they're fighting in between every class and it's constant disruptions and things like that. Things are going haywire. So um, we truly focus on culture on our campus. Uh, we have morning meetings. We have restorative practices. We have uh, strong social emotional uh, components on our campus because we want our students to truly feel like school is their second home because it is. I mean, they, they spend just as many waking hours at school as they do at home. And so uh, you have to focus and put a strong focus on culture. And once the students um, are comfortable and have strong relationships, then they're going to be open to to receiving the academic piece. And so um, I've been there again. I've been at Hadley for 12 years. And every year we start off with that focus. Like we never just say it's good enough. We don't have to to attack it anymore. Um, So you definitely have, have to set the culture. Um, that comes with strong hiring tactics. You have to go out and get the right people. Um, I feel like my coaching background benefits me because, um, you know, I'm going to use positions on the basketball floor. If I have two point guards already and, and I interview someone who, who, who is, who is a distributor, I may not necessarily need another point guard. They may be very talented, mm-hmm. but they don't really have a spot, um, on on our campus and what happens is when you start hiring some of the same types of people um that's when folks kind of get upset because they they want to feel like they have a designated role on your campus and if you have you know three people that all want to be the uh, uh the yearbook chair you know well three people can't be the yearbook chair so uh i feel like you you really have to be uh, intentional in what you're looking for. And so when we go out, I'm looking for a math teacher that has these certain attributes. Um, I'm, I'm looking for a, for a Robin in this case, and not necessarily a Batman, but in this particular grade level, I need a Batman. Like I, I need a team leader. I need somebody that can come in and can, and, and can motivate not only young people, but also their colleagues. Um, I feel like you have to be intentional when you hire people and not just get people just to have bodies. Uh, because that that goes right back to the culture. You know, there's going to be a clash and teachers aren't getting along. And if teachers aren't getting along, it's going to run downhill to the students. Man, that's some good stuff. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that, too, because I've, I've, again, been there a couple of times now on both my stints and trying to continue that process. And it is it's a every year, almost every day, um, a type type of work that you got to do and change that mindset of everybody. And. And even still, we didn't even get into it. You, we talked about the inside out part. You even talk about the outside in, the uh, um, people's uh, the perceptions of what the school is and what the kids are not able to and cannot do and what the teachers can and cannot do. We didn't even go there. We just talked about the inside out work of it, the culture and climate of the building on the inside. So I appreciate you sharing that with us, man. But this was cool. I'm, yeah. uh, it was good to get to know you a little bit, man, and hear your passion for not just for the professional education, but for kids. I can I can tell in your voice, just uh, they got a good one, man. They 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 you really care and feel and trying to do what's right for kids specifically in your community, um, and and that hopefully is going to keep spreading spreading its wings as we talk about sending kids off into the world. So um, I don't even know what what high school you feed into, but what high school do you feed into? We feed into McGavick High School. Okay, all right. Yeah, some need, need to check their principal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so before we let you go, you know, we we do this 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 preference segment of this or that. Um, we're not even going to talk about my man over here. What he's going to do? We don't know. Shoot, <laughs> <laughs> wild card over here. <laughs> so you talk about your mother is a big influence on you, um, and she's probably had some some proud moments of you. Um, and I and I can attest to that too. Trying to make my mom proud of going to my forties, get my doctorate. But what moment do you go back to with your mother? And we've had this conversation. I know your mom recently passed, but what moment do you go back to with your mother and that feeling of that making her proud? Was it receiving the doctorate, or was it that high school graduation? Um. 
I would actually say it was teacher of the year. Mm. Um, my mother was teacher of the year, um, I believe twice during her 30 plus years. Um, but I would say teacher of the year because um, she was still teaching at the time. And I just think it was a Metro thing. And so for her to see that her son received the same award that she wow. received, um, that is a award that is given to you, you know, you're voted on by your peers. Um, and so for her to hear from, you know, the teachers that she was currently teaching with and also those that she had taught with when I was a child and growing up and I, I was hearing from, you know, a lot of my mom's friends and things. And I just, that's something that really stood out to me. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, the master's was important. The doctorate was important. But I think this was an award that she really resonated with because she had received the same award. Wow, I like that. I didn't know that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually going to be a this or that. Okay. Sure. I, I, I normally, Kevin, sure. I, I normally just, just throw out some random stuff. Um, but this is a this or that. So you mentioned Syracuse and, and what I know, um, once you're a fan of a team when you're young, you continue to be a fan of that team. Georgetown. Uh, George, like Georgetown <laughs> is an example. Like you, we, we all follow Georgetown. I actually thought Georgetown was the HBCU when I was growing up. <laughs> <Showed you. laughs> <laughs> but um, so, so you mentioned Derek Coleman. Obviously he's one of the, you know, the greats in Syracuse basketball history. But so is Carmelo Anthony. He won a national championship, right? So if you want, if you had to start a team and from your basketball background as well, would you start a team with DC or Melo? I would have to start my team with Derek Coleman. Okay. Uh, I just felt like, you know, his presence in the paint, uh, you know, he's going to give you, you know, the points. He's going to get you uh, rebounds, block shots. Uh, and, you know, Carmelo, I believe he was a freshman. The yeah, year he was a freshman, they won. freshman. Yeah. Uh, so when I think of Syracuse, like, yeah. I, 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 I don't have as many uh, visuals of Carmelo because he wasn't there that long. He was only there for a year. But I can remember, you know, Coleman and and uh, Sherman Douglas and yeah. all those guys and, and just the wars that they had back then with 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 Georgetown and, mm-hmm. and you know, Ewing and I think Alonzo Mourning was there at the time, I believe. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but I would have to go with Derek Coleman. Nice. Okay. okay. In, I, and I may be in the minority on that. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I like that I, argument. No, I thought you was going to argue Ronnie Cycli or something. <laughs> There you go. There you go. <laughs> hey, he was he was a he was a beast. You look like Ronnie Cycling. Hey, man. Yeah, you know he's 18, hey, looks like he's about 45. Go get him. Okay, Kevin. So uh, obviously you you've been in, in a building principal for a long time, but it sounds like you're branching out a little bit now into, you know, to bigger. Not necessarily bigger, but more open areas like, you know, national and stuff. So if you had to choose between the two that you could do for the next 10 years, would you be a building level principal or do around, move around like you're doing, like it's coming up on your sabbatical and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, I'm an educational purist. I'm going to have to say building principal. Um, I got into this work to be around young people. Uh, I feel like, you know, I've been blessed to to touch countless lives. I mean, I, I, I have students that, you know, are math teachers in high school because what they tell me is, you know, b- because I was, I was their math teacher. And so I, I was the inspiration behind that the same way that I had teachers that, that were inspirations for me. Um, you know, I, I'm able to see kids who now have families and are married and, are doing well, um, you know, in, in, in their careers. And they all came through my classroom. Where I had the opportunity to coach them. And I don't think you can get those types of uh, rewards um, working with, with, with adults. It's, it's gratifying and it's fun. And it's something that I, that I have a passion for, but if I had to choose the two, um, I would definitely say being, being a building principal and, and, and being on the ground and touching the lives of, of kids. 
Yeah. Awesome, man. Hey, yeah. hey, Dr. Armstrong, we greatly yeah, appreciate man, your time, man. This is fun getting to know you. Uh, uh, like you said, a Nashville native, somebody who's had a heart and put his heart and career into the metro Nashville area and, and making change, creating big waves. Man, excited to see you with the trajectory of your next phase of life. You know, we all have it. We all have that next phase and what that is and uh, having success doing it, man. We wish you well. And we definitely gonna stay in touch as we talking about doing a clap piece. But, um, but man, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate it, fellas. All right, All right bro. Man, take All care, right. bro. Yeah. All right.